Chesley Puller is the most decorated Marine in the whole history of the Corps, who received five Navy crosses for extraordinary valor, born in 1898 to a farm family in Virginia. He enlisted at uh, 19, uh, 18 and soon showed extraordinary uh, expertise in warfare and aptitude. He, in 1928, he led forces in Central America and was known by friend and enemy alike as the Tiger of Nicaragua. In World War II, he led forces, the, the forces, the Marine forces that took on Guadalcanal and Peleliu in battle. And he was wounded grievously several times doing acts of valor and hence the five Navy crosses. Impressive beyond the valor is how much his, love, his men loved him. They, um, and how much, because he loved them. He passed away in 1971. And his daughter spoke about how much he loved his men, how deeply and how much they loved him. And said, speaking of his men, when you're loved like, with a love like that, you know, and you can't help returning that love. Uh, because of Chesty's love for his Marines, uh, they knew he wouldn't take unnecessary risks with their lives and that he would um, be right there in, with them in the fighting. And though his men were aching often and weary, hungry, they would march a little longer and fight a little harder to reach the objective. He had the power to make uh, heroes out of common mortals. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't you love to be loved like that, with a love for such a great and courageous person? Wouldn't it be something if we had the opportunity to be loved like that from, say, the most courageous person who's ever lived, and who is man and God, and now reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Here's my theme today the very King of kings and Lord of lords who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth wants to be intimately engaged in our lives. And if we don't have that excitement for him now, he stands ready to help us obtain it. This morning, my text is from Luke 7, 36 through 50, described as the sin, it's, it's titled The Sinful Woman Forgiven. It's about a woman who loved Christ and deeply and about a Pharisee who didn't. And then I want to ask three questions. Is, is it important for us to have a deep love for Jesus Christ as this woman did? Um, and what are, what are the obstacles, however, to keep us from loving him that way? And when our ed, love ebbs low, how can we recover or, or gain our excitement if we've never had it? Will you listen to God's word with me? One of the Pharisees then asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. And thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence, worshiping and listening to your word. Will you please make this come alive, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that we might extract all the nutrition that you have for us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see a Pharisee then has invited the Lord Jesus into his house and most likely wants to take the measure of who is this prophet is and what, what's he all about. And, but he did not do the normal customary things that you would do to an honored person, to a friend. He didn't, we learn later that he didn't uh, provide anything like oil that is normal and customary or he didn't kiss him as it was the custom in those days uh, and they still do in the Mediterranean, the men. On the other hand, a woman then, imagine the shock when this woman came in and she was just not any woman, just not an ordinary sinner, but she was a sinner. So most commentators say a prostitute, um, someone bringing shame on, on the streets of Jerusalem uh, who would be looked at as sort of like, you might look at a, at a used tissue on the ground, uh, have about as much regard for that as you, as you would for this woman. But she came in and anointed, uh, wet, washed his feet with her tears, wiped his feet in abject humility, and um, brought in the alabaster, expensive alabaster uh, jar with its ointment for him. Well, what had happened to this woman? What had happened to this woman? What had happened to this woman? Who, what would drive this sinful woman who was 
probably a prostitute, to just come uninvited into the Pharisee's house and make so much of Jesus. Wouldn't it be something to go back and see what had happened to her? What, what had he done and said to her in her previously? I believe we must infer that she had heard the words of Jesus uh, spoken to her. And she could have been in the crowd. Was it in private? What, how was it? Um, was it, what words did she hear? Did she hear, come unto me, all you the labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest? Did she hear, did she hear um, that, um, excuse me, did she hear, uh, like Isaiah, that she was in, or she, was she, did she find herself in the presence of the Lord and say to herself, uh, um, woe is me, for I've, I'm undone, I'm a woman of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. Was it, a ter- was it a terror that she felt in the presence of his holiness? Uh, or was it like Mary? Uh, when Mary heard the word of the Lord spoken to her, she said, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in wonder and awe and love, she said, my soul does magnify the Lord. We don't know. We don't know. But we, she heard something that changed her. However the word of the Lord came to her, it quickened in her life. She knew that the great God had sent a savior for her and that uh, this savior was for her, was really wanted her best. And she knew, do you think she had to, she knew that, uh, she was, she was bringing shame to Israel, and yet this man forgave her. She encountered greatness somehow, and we do see the greatness of the Lord. Don't we, and don't we most often, don't we look for greatness too in our lives? We, we see people who go, they'll travel thousands of miles to be around greatness. They'll go to the Colorado Rockies or, or even Mount Everest uh, they, to be around majestic mountains, the majesty of majestic mountains. Or how about going even to an athletic contest like a football game and where men are playing at a high level and might even be playing for a championship. I've heard people who have been to the latest Bengals games and people are standing the whole time because... They know we have a winner, and they're excited about, uh, hey, we go to the Super Bowl. We're, we have ex- true excellence in our city. And that's exciting. It is exciting. And yet, imagine this woman who was in the presence of true greatness. And how much more do we have the opportunity to be in that presence of that greatness, the one greatest one who ever was or whoever will be. But there's another person in the story that, that is the Pharisee. In Christ's Paris, uh, parable tells us that he had to, the Lord had to explain why, what's going on here. And he explained the two, the two debtors. One had no gratitude 
or love for Christ because he felt he didn't need Christ. Um, so he had this Pharisee had no sense that he was a sinner in need of uh, the Lord's grace. Uh, how many of us have been like that in my life before Christ? I certainly was. And today I see people, I, I have people in my life. Uh, they might say either out loud or unspoken, you know, Scott, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad you found Jesus. Um, I'm glad you've got found religion. I, I can see it means a lot to you. But you know, I, I just don't need, I don't need Jesus in my life. And I think to myself, my friend, um, there's nothing you need more. And I feel sorry for you and your foolish thinking. I don't say it out loud, but um, that's what I'm thinking. Jesus explains to the Pharisee the point of his parable. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he, for he who is forgiven little loves little. The point of the passage is that his indifference and lack of love for the God he claimed to serve, um, but he had, he had indifference. That was his problem. Um, because he, would, uh, he didn't know he needed much forgiveness. But the woman of the street knew the magnitude of her sin, and she knew how much God had done to forgive her. By his spirit, his spirit had spoken to her heart. She knew she was loved and forgiven. She knew God was for her in a way the Pharisee didn't, and it made all the difference. She was absolutely thrilled to be in the Lord's presence. How important is it then that we have a deep love for Jesus Christ? like this woman. Um, from a sermon he preached on the book of Revelation, John MacArthur put it this way, the Christian life is best defined as an ongoing relationship of love between the believer and Christ. The Christian life is about loving Christ. It is about loving him totally. It is about loving him sacrificially. It is about loving him obediently. It is about loving him worshipfully. It is about loving him in terms of service. It really is about loving Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Listen to the Apostle Paul, who said at the very end of the Ephesians epistle, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ incorruptibly. End quote. How can we gain this love relationship with the Lord? Jesus said that he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Lord tells us here that it's through hearing and doing his word. It's not, it's thankfully, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's, but it's simple. It loving him looks like hearing and doing his word. It's always been this way, but both in the Old Testament and the New. In the life of Samuel, for example, in 1 Samuel 3, 19-21, we read, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and none of his words fell to the ground. 
And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. He revealed, that's how he reveals himself to us today, by hearing his word and quickening it to our minds and hearts. To love Jesus Christ is to hear and do his word. When we do, he promises like the sinful woman of Luke 7, he, we will come into possession of him and of his love for us. David had this kind of passion for knowing God through his word. Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. What is love for Jesus Christ? It means being love for Bible study and love for hearing uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit speak his word to our hearts. But there's a, there's a cloud in, our, in the horizon of our love for Christ. I don't know of any Christian who hasn't struggled with this. We wake up and often we're not excited about our morning, our morning Bible study, or um, and we simply just don't have the intimacy we wish we had. I remember a time walking into a Christian bookstore and seeing titles, Intimacy with God, A Closer Walk with God. Uh, sure, that, uh, that sounds great. I, I mean, I, I really did want it. I really desired it, but it was like walking into a or walking down the street in downtown in a department store and seeing something, some, some wonderful item behind the plate glass window. And, ah, uh, I wish I had that, but I just can't get, I can't get to it somehow. I can't get to that intimacy with Christ I really wish I had. I, I know, I, I trusted that some people had it, but I sure didn't. And the passion and the joy and the exuberance of, were not there for my Bible study, just duty and doctrine. And I don't know of any Christian who hasn't struggled with this. And this leads to my second heading. What are the obstacles to loving Jesus the way this woman did? To intimacy with Christ. Can the Pharisees' problem be our problem too? Why does the Bible say that we can be indifferent to his word? Why don't we love him as we should? The Bible says, he who is forgiven much loves much. According to this text, we don't truly believe that if we don't love loving him, we really don't see the magnitude of what he's done for us. And if we don't see, then we won't love much. And there might be other reasons. I mean, I'm not discounting that uh, there might be chemical imbalances in our brain or something. So I'm not, no, no condemnation, please. Um, I'm going to, if, in my case, I know I, there was a time I resented being called a sinner. It, it came to a head when I read, when read James 4.4. 4. And it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. As a young Christian, I thought, oh, man, that sounds harsh. 
I, and I love so much the movies and the TV of this world and the, the music, it's radio. And when, when I hear that, it was like, man, you're taking everything I know and love. Um, for example, there was a time I might sit in a worship service and listen to the sermon and so forth, and I'm going, uh, when will this sermon be over so that I can go home and do what I really love, which is watching NFL football. But, and it wasn't here, by the way, that I thought that. I, that was years ago. <laughs> but over time, his word changed me. He showed me and glimpses of his glory, majesty, power, and authority. And I saw that praise the Lord that was giving me a path forward out of my love for the world. Harold, can I get an amen, please? Amen. Okay. <laughs> I realized that my problem really was that I loved other things more than I loved Christ. And that love for other things was blocking the entrance of his word into my heart. And Jesus calls the love of the world spiritual adultery. Why adultery? Because I, like the adulterer, really found, oh, what I really, I can't wait to, I do what I really love. You know, what really gives me satisfaction and contentment, something other and it was something other than Jesus. And when I loved other things, wealth, status, family, friends, came like the person described in Matthew 13.22, the parable of the sower. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but care, the cares of the word, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. When I treasured friends, wealth, football, more than Christ, weighed down, with worry and care about losing those things. And then I neglected my intimacy with Christ. And brothers and sisters, the world tries to chip away at our intimacy with Christ. It tries to anesthetize us so to walk around in a stupor, loving all these this things, the entertainment and so forth, while the while we have the grandest, most glorious, precious thing in the universe that could ever be in our Lord Jesus Christ. May I quote C.S. Lewis here in his essay, The Weight of Glory, who wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, that, that's a dark cloud. But how in this state, how can we gain this intimacy with Christ and our love for Christ that we want if it's just became a dull duty to us going to church and Bible study? What, what can we do? How can my heart be transformed? How do I get rid of the love that, ah, for other things that is like sticking like super glue to me? You know, it's sticking, I know it's because I like it. That's why it's sticking to me. And I get pleasure from it. I cherish it. So, oh man, I, sin feels good. How do I get rid of it? 
Well, can a leopard change its spots? Or like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Back to James. For four chapters, the Holy Spirit through James has been telling us how we fall short in caring for the um, indigent brother, uh, for taming our tongue, uh, for coveting our brother's possessions. But praise the Lord for verse 6. Because James finally tells us, but he gives us more grace. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for all this worship this morning that pointed us to the cross. The good news is that Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection has made a way for us. And stands ready to help in our weakness. I could give you a lot of biblical commands and do's, do's, do, do, to do this, do this, and leave. We'd all be more weighed down than when we came in um, with, with do more and be better. But in order to love him like the sinful woman, we need to, how, need to hear how much he has done for us and how much he loves us. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. First John 4.10 This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Like that adulterous woman, we need a uh, simple woman, the prostitute, we need to come into possession of that love and know deep down that he loves us. To gain deep love for Christ, we must hear his word like she did. Around 1992, I was driving down the road on I-275 near the Reed Hartman exit. I was discouraged. Um, kind of the stain of the immorality of my early years sort of was, was hanging on me and um, plus every time I, church, I went to church I was just in a place where I heard do more, be better the preacher could, probably wasn't saying that he was preaching the gospel but what I was hearing was you got to do more, you got to be better you got to do more, you got to be better anyone been trapped in that works righteousness vine and it's uh, but that's where I was and on a radio broadcast, uh, I was hearing it heard as if for the first time the words from Romans 3.21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is... <clears throat> No difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, um, sometime that hit me that for the first time I really heard that I was justified by a righteousness, not my own, uh, outside myself. And it wasn't that I had to do more, be better, do more, be better to be right with God. And... Uh, that was a turning point for me. I was so thankful. And um, the, it's like the doors of heaven 
sort of swung wide. And I knew that God cared for me deep down. And I didn't do it. It was the Holy Spirit. And he was taking from me what was stale and decrepit and giving me the new clothes of righteousness that I didn't earn, but that were mine. And he was, most of all, he was giving me what was the most glorious thing I could ever want, himself. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What will cure us of the idols in our lives? It will be only be a vision of him that eclipses all else and draws him, his look, to him draws us to himself. Have you seen and tasted that one, brothers and sisters? Have you seen Jesus, not with the eyes of physical sight, but with the eyes of faith and of the heart? In summary then, the Christian life is best defined as an ongoing relationship of love between the believer and Christ. The Christian life is about loving Christ. It's about loving him totally, sacrificially. But there are powerful obstacles to our loving him. The world, the flesh, the devil, all conspire to entice us to love other things more than Christ. The answer is not that we try harder or be better in our own strength. The answer he gives us He gives us more grace. It's a sovereign work of God, quickening his word in our hearts so that we can respond to him in love. So that we're moved to love him by Christ's love for us. Then we can move in strength to obey his word and his commands. His commands are not burdensome. And remember, it was not us who sought him but it was he who sought us and joined himself to us in spiritual marriage. People of God, come in to your estate. Come into this love. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the grandest, most glorious, precious person in the universe that could ever be that for our possession. But we live in a dark age of cultural decadence, don't we? But since when have the pagans have the power to prevent us from walking in intimacy with Christ? Amen. And keep us from having the shining and close relationship with our God to be the shining lights that he, on the hill that he's called us to be. Brothers and sisters, go to him, turn from sin, ask him for a vision of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor John, I'm a little short here. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> um, will you pray with me? Lord, I know I don't love you as I should. I know my heart has idols that are keeping me from loving you wholeheartedly. Please help. May the Holy Spirit set before us a vision of the greatness of Christ and the desire to have his love and himself in our lives. Dear Lord, 
Please open our eyes and ears to see a new vision of what's possible in our walk with you. May we have new lenses, Lord, new gospel lenses to see the beauty and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ.